welcome to episode 31 of Whiskey Talk from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I'm Richard Goslin, editor of the Society's Members magazine, Unfiltered. It was my great pleasure to catch up recently with Charlie McLean in our members' room at 28 Queen Street in Edinburgh's Newtown. Charlie doesn't need much in the way of introduction for anyone with a passion for whiskey. He's been writing professionally about the spirit since the early 1980s, and he's been a long-standing friend of the SMWS and a tasting panel chairperson as well. This year saw Charlie honoured as a member of the most excellent order of the British Empire, better known as an MBE, in the Queen's birthday honours list. That was for his services to Scotch, UK exports and to charity. I asked Charlie more about the award, his 40 years of whisky writing and his long-term connection with the SMWS. Charlie McLean, MBE, <laughs> congratulations. Thank you very uh, much, Richard. Uh, you know, it's so well deserved and I think there's been a, a real outpouring of... Uh, love. Of love and affection, <laughs> as, as it should oh, be. Oh, it's been so embarrassing, it really has been, <laughs> been, I feel so touched, really. Uh, services to Scotch, to UK exports, to charity, and, you know, I'd like to talk about these different areas uh, today. But, uh, yeah, I mean, how did it feel? Did it come out of the blue? Did you have any inkling? How does it work? Well, the, I knew that somebody had put me up for a gong. You can't specify, but they put me up for a gong three years ago. And I heard nothing about it. And so I just assumed it had, either hadn't been done or had, um, had been passed over. And, the, um, and then in June this year, um, I suddenly get this letter from the... I can't remember what, but it's essentially from Buckingham Palace, saying that, you, that I was going to be honoured with an MBE by Her Majesty in the, in the birth, birthday honours. So I was blown away. I mean, it really was. I mean, I was talking to Annabel um, Miko about how many people have got gongs, and I think that Jim Beveridge, um, Richard Patterson, um, oh, what's his name, the, uh, Glenn Grant? Dennis Malcolm. Dennis Malcolm. And that's about it. That's all we could we could think of. Right. I mean, the the um, who are ex working in the industry today, um, can't, we couldn't think of anybody else. Yeah. The, um, so it's a very considerable honour, and the uh, you know I'm hardly worthy, but I have I have served my time. Well, so. you, I mean, you have served your time. Was it was it 1981? You, you started to publish whiskey. No, works? no, 1981 was when I wrote my first job for a, for a whiskey company, and that was Bell's. And it was a little pamphlet. And then, but during the 80s, um, I wrote just purely by chance, as a commercial writer, commercial copywriter, in, in, an independent commercial copywriter, I wrote for a number of, of companies. And it, I mean, McCowan, Glenmorangie, Allied Distillers, um, Morrison Beaumont, um, Whitbreads, they owned. Um, Black Bottle, and they, they, they were involved in whiskey at that time. That time, I mean, many, and even the nascent um, United Distillers in the in the in the in the late eighties, um, and they, when they, after after the, after Guinness took over the, the Distillers Company, and the I, I wrote a British for which was never published actually, but the uh, um, at that time. So now, in between. The commercial copywriting was the was what kept the, the wolf from the door, but at the, at the same time I, I used to like to have a book on the back burner, and that would be Scottish. I mean, for, to, to or not not speculative, you know. So publishers would, would want books about. I mean, I wrote about. I think the general area would be Scottish nonfiction, 
So the, the first book that went out under my own name was called The Fringe of Gold, and that was published in 85, um, uh, about the fishing villages on the east coast of Scotland. And the, uh, but I wrote, I wrote a little book about clans, castles. Um, so not, not specifically whiskey related no, at that time? No, no, not at that time, not at all. But I d some of the jobs that I did for the industry, for example, um, Highland Distilleries, um, was it the 200th anniversary or something like that? No, it can't have been maybe 150th or something like that. And that required an awful lot of research. And they gave me a, the, the, a, a manuscript of, uh, that had been done by Professor Michael Moss. And it, I had to condense it right down um, to... to uh, but, and that, that also led me to read his book about the, the making of Scotch whisky, which is, of course, a seminal text, difficult but, but very important. So by 1988, I didn't have a book on the back burner. I, I had a sufficient track record to, and, and more, most important, sufficient interest in the subject to make a fist of a proposal to a publisher for Mitchell Beasley in London um, for, a, for a book about Scotch whisky. And uh, effectively, that was contracted then. Um, before their, their series, they did a series, well, they, I don't, so far as I'm aware, they still do, called the Mitchell Beasley Pocket Guides. And so they're, although they're small in format, they're encyclopedic in, in tiny, tiny print, you know. Um, so that took, that was published in, it was either 92 or 93. Um, and the um, and since then, you know, well, I'm, I'm I've, I've I've now um, published eighteen books on the subject, and I've, I've written five books during, for some are quite small during um, during the lockdown. The, the 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 two of them were were to accompany one to accompany a, a, a Karazawa, um, and one to accompany a nineteen forty eight Glen Grant. Um, one was actually an update for an American publisher of my earlier book, Malt Whiskey, um, bringing it, up, bringing it up, up to date, and that was for electronic publication. And two have, um, it, it have yet to be printed. One, one will, be, will be released. It's, a, it's more, it's more a, a, they call it a monograph. It's more, it's more a staple book. It's about 26,000 words and the, um, than, than a, a, a book book. And the other one is... Um, has yet to find a publisher because the publisher backed off the last minute. I did this that one with Gavin, Gavin Smith. Okay. And the um, so you know so eighteen books and more to come. And the um, but then you see as as a result of this, I mean you can't survive by by writing. You know, there's no way. You know, you you you, uh, you know. What, uh, Johnny Mitchell says, artists in noble poverty go early to the grave. You know. <laughs> And so it's, it's um, but the industry has kept me going because the, um, um, the right from, my first engagement with, direct engagement with the whiskey industry was with United Distillers um, in, it was very soon after the book was published, so it must have been about 93, I think, um, and they were, they were, were well, I think, I, I don't suppose this is confidential anymore, but the, uh, they, they thought, they suddenly realized that they hadn't, they'd taken their eye off the ball vis-a-vis -vis their royal warrant for white horse distillers, which also embraced Lagavulin, of course. And, the, um, and they thought, shit, you know, they, they were going to lose this. And it, was, it meant that Japan at that time was, going, was doing very well, and so the, the, and white horse in particular in Japan. 
and so and they were very impressed by the, the queen's the queen drinks this whiskey and the uh, so they thought well how on earth are we going to reassure the um, the, the, the high hegians of the, the uh, Royal Warrant Holders Association that, that we take this very, very seriously. And so they, Nick Morgan, who was at that time the archivist, um, um, he, he, we had a secret meeting in the, in the, um, in the Caledonian Hotel. Um, and he explained all this and he said, I want you, I want you to go away and the, the, to come up with a menu to match the all our warranted whiskies, which would be Dewar's, Walker, um, White Horse, VAT uh, 69, possibly, um, and, the, um, and then to come down to London, and we're going to invite, he was called Colonel Pickup, who was the, the, the director of the Royal Warrant Holders, and um, Edward Demery, who was the, he was the chairman of, um, or cha chairman, I think, of um, GNB, and he was also master of the Queen's Cellar, do you see? And there was a third guy, his name I can't remember. And, the, um, and they were going to have a dinner. Um, now, the, the, the royal warrants are held personally. So, for example, at that time, the MD of United Distillers, uh, Finn Johnson, um, he was the, the personal holder of the Walker warrant. So all the individuals who, who were the personal holders of the warrants were at the dinner. And so there was probably about, there would be about 10, 10 maybe 12 people around the table. It was, in, it was in Landmark House in London, and it was in July, and it was fucking hot. And it, the, the, I think the central heating had broken down. And I was wearing, I'd come down from Laird, because we, we, we were on holiday on family and up in Ascent. And so I caught the train in Laird and went all the way down. And I had, I, I was wearing sort of tweed, you know, and it was, it was, it was blistering hot. And I remember we went into the, the, the we had a, a drink before with, um, it was a, I can't remember, it doesn't matter, but the, um, they were ushered into this, this dining room, which was probably not much bigger than this, and certainly not as high, but a little bit bigger. But the, um, and, um, you know, the, I was just sweating, and the, uh, and some, the guy across the table said, take your jacket off. And, and I said, well, can you do that? And the, yeah, because if you take it off, then we, we can all take it off. So jacket's off right from the start. And that relaxed everybody, and it made it, it really set, set the tone. And, it was a, and I had to jump up every time and describe the whiskies and, and why I'd chosen this, this particular dish. And the, um, um, and the, the so it really was, and the, but the conversation was very general and very relaxed, you know as the wind industry is, you know, when they get them all together, a few drinks and then they're off. And, the, uh, um, and Colonel Pickup at the end said, well, I can honestly say I've never been to a dinner quite so, so convivial as this, you know. And, the, um, and then they gave them each a sort of doggy bag, which was an album, a, 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 like a phot phot photographic album, but all leather and stuff, you know. And in it was, was with, with all the pages devoted to all the, 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 um, the, the warranted brands and, um, and with, with photographs tipped in and labels tipped in and all this. I think they cost, it cost about 12 grand, you know. So each of these things were, would, would have cost, I think they had four made, one for the archive and one, one three for the, for the, for the th things. And honestly, they must have, they must, when they opened them up, you know, the next morning, let's say, took it out of the, the bag, 
must thought he died and gone to heaven. I mean, yeah. they were beautifully done. And the, uh, so anyway, they, they secured the warrant. <laughs> Just as well. <laughs> so that was my first engagement. But then... Um, but did it seem in the early 80s when you... Were you full-time as a writer, whether it was commercial or doing your own projects? Yep. From yep. the early 80s, you were full-time as a writer. Yep. Did it feel at the time, oh, wait a minute, maybe this is not the best time to be writing about whiskey because it was a very different era. Uh, distillers were closing, the whiskey loch was, was there and it was a fairly bad time in the whiskey world. Yep. Did, did, did that... Well, remember, I mean, I mean, quite frankly, I was unaware of that. Um, and of course, remember, I was, I was not writing full-time about whiskey. I mean, I, I, and I had a business partner at that time and we came up, for example, with the, the Bank of Scotland slogan, Friend for Life. Um, and we did a lot of, of, of commercial work, mainly through design agencies and sometimes through ad agencies. Um, and, and so and Simon, my, my, my partner, he was, he was absolutely brilliant. He went on into advertising full-time and founded his own agency, the, the union. And, the, um, um, and he was brilliant above the line, you know, with slogans and, and headlines and concepts and things. I was more pedestrian and sort of more the below-the-line stuff, brochures and annual reports, this sort of stuff. So... It was the, the whiskey writing was only one, a, a part of a much bigger picture. Um, but no, because the, well, to go back further, as you may know, Richard, the, the, um, I, I spent most of the 1970s trying to think what the hell I was going to do. And, the, um, um, and I went to St. Andrews, after school I went to St. Andrews University and did a degree in fine art and uh, a fine art and divinity. The reason for the divinity was that it was a bad Torah entry because <laughs> I didn't have good enough A-levels to get clean in. But so I, I enrolled originally to do a Master of Theology degree um, and then skipped to the arts faculty after a year. And, but I, by that time I'd become quite interested in the subject of divinity. And so I carried that one and then, the, then did, did um, fine art because all the pretty girls did fine art. And, it was, and the lectures were at, were at two o'clock in the afternoon. So you'd have a few pints and then go, go and watch. And it was all, it was all with, on screens. And the, and the professor of fine art, John Steer, was an absolutely brilliant guy. He pranced about. He was very enthusiastic. And the, so it was... Um, but anyway, and then after that, um, you couldn't do an honours degree in, 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 in art, uh, art history, fine art at that time. And the... Um, so the, the, he had made an arrangement with Edinburgh University to complete the degree um, and to or make it into an honours degree. And so when my dad, who was a surgeon and a pragmatic Glaswegian, um, summoned me in and said, now what are you going to do now? And, the, and I said, well, Dad, I thought, you know, first year was very keen that I should go to, to Edinburgh University and complete this degree for the two years. Yes, he said, I see. And then, um, and after that, research, Courtauld Institute, something like that. Mm -hmm. And after that, teach. And he's one of, the, one of these guys that, that's, you know, those who can do and those who can't teach, you know what I mean? So he said, well, I hear what you say, but the, um, I'm prepared to, to sponsor you for a professional qualification, but none of this arty-farty stuff. And so I, I rather pathetically limped off to, to Dundee University and did a law degree, and, um, which I completed. I did, I did two years at Dundee, um, and that was for the degree, but I, I was carrying subjects, so I went to Edinburgh University for a year and mopped up those subjects and then did my apprenticeship in Edinburgh. 
and realised, of course, by the time I was sort of halfway through it, that the, the law was not for me. But I, and I qualified, but the um, but while I was while I was doing my apprenticeship um, as a as an escape route, um, I um, set up uh, my plate as a literary agent with Sandy McCall Smith, Alexander McCall Smith. So the, so this was in 1977. Um, and I must have qualified finally in 78. Um, and I, I, so I, 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 but within months of, of, of qualifying, um, the, a, a, a writer, an author turned up who had been locked up with the Shah of Iran, as a matter of fact. And we thought this was, this was right. Remember, the Shah was tum tumbled in 79. And so it was a hot, hot. So it must have been '79 when, when, when he, he uh, um, and so we thought this was going to be a very newsworthy story. He had his story. He, he'd been locked up for three years in, by by Savak, the uh, secret police in, in Iran. And the um, so anyway, so that got me out of the law, um, and then promptly starved. And the book the book was published, but it it, it, it didn't do anything. And the um, um, and then. So the agency was running. I, I used my uh, my art history um, qualification to become, for a year, the administrator at the uh, the Demarco Gallery, uh, for about fifty pounds a week, and the um, and then the director of the Henderson Gallery. Um, you, you know, it was part part time, um, both these things, and the um, and then in about about nineteen eighty. Um, my cousin, first cousin, who he was in advertising in London, came to, walk, came to work for a highly creative agency in Edinburgh called Marr Associates. And Colin Marr, who was the, 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 the main man, um, he was an art director, a supremely, he had, they had more um, DNAD awards than, than, than anybody else in Scotland by a long chalk, it was highly creative stuff. But they didn't have an in-house writer at that time. And so Donnie, my cousin, briefed Simon and I to how to uh, take an advertising copy brief. Um, and um, so we effectively became the writers for first for, for, for Colin Marr. The first job we did for, for, for Colin was, was uh, won three DNAD awards, you know. Okay. And so, so that gave us good cred. And, the, uh, and then, but then you see, design agencies don't have in-house writers. Um, and so we, then we started to get work from, from the likes of McElroy Coates, it was called McElroy Coates Fitzpatrick at that time, and then um, Halls, um, Tayburn, you know, the, the design agencies. And that was where the work came from. And the, um, and what, sorry, what, that's a long answer. What, what about your father's reaction when you, you went <laughs> off into this other sphere? <laughs> did did he, he finally come around? He, he never understood it. No. He never, never understood it. The, 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 he, would, he, would, he would always introduce me. This is my son, Charles. He's a, a writer to Her Majesty's Signet, don't you know? You know? <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was proud that I would become a lawyer. When, oh, I said, Dad, you know, I gave up the law three years ago. You know, yeah. Whatever. But the, uh, uh, and but let's go back to the, those early 80s because that's obviously when the society, the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society was founded by Pip Hills and his pals and again it was a time where the industry was in pretty bad shape and this new club emerged down in Leith. What, what did you know of it at that time or what, what kind of impact did it have on you? Were you aware of it or what was it oh, something yeah, yeah. you came um, to I, was, I joined pretty early on actually in the... In the, in the 
I would guess early 80s, but then the, the, my, um, my membership lapsed, so I, I sort of rejoined in the early 90s. But yeah, I remember, I remember going to a 21st birthday party in the vaults when it was being restored, and it was full of scaffolding and stuff like that, and you know, the, the dancing, and the dust was, was, was bouncing off the, off the floor, up the, through the cracks in the, in the floor, you know. Um, it was scaffolding all over the place. Um, so yeah, but I had, I had no involvement with it. I remember actually, Richard, the, the, I remember going there when the, 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 the members' room was uh, no furniture at all except there was a, I think it was a desk in, in, against the back wall and, you, and a few bottles and you, you literally, there was a sort of honesty box and you could go up there and meet people and, um, and have a dram and share, you know, share a dram so we'll try some of this you see and then just put, put the money in the box right. and, the, um, and I remember going up there once and there was, there was, there was some, a couple of border farmers and they were wearing their best tweeds you know and it was, they were out on the Skype for the day, you know. And so we spent most of the afternoon sort of, sort of sharing thoughts on, on, the, on the whiskies. Really? You know, but, and this is before, the, 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 before it had even been furnished, yeah. you see. The, uh, but no, so that was my involvement. The, the, um, I suppose later, because Ben Tyndall was, was very involved, he was the architect yeah. involved, and, the, and I knew him, and indeed later... Um, Rented an office from him, um, uh, 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 just just below the above um, West Bur- is it West Bur- the, anyway down where it, where, it, where his office is, and the. Um, what, what was the feeling with, within the society at the time? Did it, did it feel like there was something very different in the air? And, and in terms of the whiskey that you were tasting, I suppose you you, you, pr- you probably hadn't been exposed to that single cask cask strength unchilled filtered no, whiskey it no. just wasn't really available no no absolutely right and the but key is the fact that the the you know the the, the you have to remember that the 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 you know in in around about the time that the society was founded only less than 1% of the malt whiskey made was um bottled essing malt and there, were, there, were, there was really a, a, only a few brands available. It, that, that increased slightly during the 80s, but it really began to gather momentum in the late 80s and in, into the 90s. So the idea of single cask... Um, single cask was unknown. No proprietors um, bottled single casks that, I, that, I, that I'm aware of. Um, natural strength bottling was unknown except for Glenfarclas, Glenfarclas 104, and the, that was a high-strength whiskey, but the others, they were all, all bottled, pretty well all bottled at 40%. Um, and then chill filtration was, was, was universal. Now, the combination of these factors, the, especially the, the high-strength, and not that one would want to, to, to drink them at high-strength, um, but the, it, you know, high-strength alcohol holds in flavour much better. And when you add the water, it, it, the, the, they call this, these congeners are called hydrophobic. They don't like water, and so when you add the water, they they become volatile. So you can smell them, and, and also when you're tasting, it makes it much easier to taste. Now, if you if you reduce the strength on the bottling line, a lot of them are flown away. Yeah. And so it is it is much better to to bottle at high strength. Um, natural color is is. 
is very useful, desirable, um, not because spirit caramel, um, um, it's very difficult to detect. I've done experiments with spirit caramel and the, in various amounts from one drop to five drops and, 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 with, and, and, and no drops and blindfold and sort of nose and taste. And it's extremely difficult to discern. You can, you, you can but you, you, it's, it's very difficult. So it doesn't really affect the, the flavor too much, but it, it completely ruins the, the idea of the appearance and, and you know, what kind of caskets come from, because you know, a very pale cask is a pale whiskey from a refill cask, a very dark whiskey from a first fill European oak cask and this sort of thing. Um, so it was a completely new approach to, to this, this, the natural, as straight from the cask, was a brand new approach. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the final thing, the key thing was that in those days, they were more or less giving whiskey away, you know. I remember when I, because I, I, I became a consultant to Adelphi Independent Bottlers in, in 93. Um, and the, and I, I remember spending an afternoon with Jamie Walker, who, was, who, who revived the company. His great-grandfather owned the Adelphi Distillery in Glasgow, and the, uh, the late Adelphi Distillery. And, the, um, and we spent the whole afternoon trying to, trying to decide which of three butts, he'd been offered three butts of 31-year-old Springbank. And, the, <laughs> and the, of course, they were all e e they were equally good. So we had a whole afternoon trying to decide which one to buy. And the, you could only afford to buy one, you know. Oh, my God, I mean, you'd sell your granny to, 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 to buy the whole lot. Double mortgage the house. Yeah. But, the, you know, the prices were, were very reasonable. Yeah. And the, well, the, Pip and tells the same story about having his pick of the, of the stock in some of these yeah. warehouses. Mm. And as you say, it was just like, you know, they, there wasn't an understanding of the, the true value of yeah. what was sitting there. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, the whiskey lock. And then the, these whiskies were getting older. You know, by the by the late eighties, and the um, but surplus to requirements, yeah. and so they were they were they were going begging. So you came back to the society uh, in a in in a role as tasting panel chair. Well, now you see that's that's this is very important because the 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 um, um, now let me think about this. I I knew Richard Gordon, um, who the former managing director of the company of the of the society. Um, I can't remember where I met him, but I remember in a, in a, in a bar, he was, he was at a loose end. I can't remember what he was doing, but it was in the Bow Bar on Victoria Street. And, um, um, and I, I was acquainted with the society, of course. And I said, look, you should, you should, you should. they were looking for a new managing director. And the, um, this is 1990. And the, um, so I said, you should go on and see Annie Dana, who I knew. And the, um, um, and so he went along and he, he did, did an interview. Um, he was 28 years old and he, they, they reckoned he was, too, he was too young. And so he didn't get the job. Um, and he went off to work for Glenmorangie. And he was, a, he was sort of marketing director for, marketing manager for Glenmorangie for three years, four years, whatever. But then the, the, um, the, the society was in, in not very good shape at that time. And so he was called back and um, now, both he and I had done a course together in 92 
um, run by Pentland Scotch Whiskey Research, now the Scotch Whiskey Research Institute, um, a week-long course. Um, there were only six people on, on the course. It was entirely for the, for the trade. For, you know, so there was a dis- Frank Newlands, who was the, 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 the manager of McCallum Distillery, and people like that. You know, they, were, they, were, they were kind of high-level. There were some, some management people. And, the, uh, and my, my, I, I, another cousin of mine worked for McCallum at that time, and he couldn't do it, so there was a, he knew there was a space. And so I got in touch with them and signed up. And, um, and Richard had, had I, I presume, already signed up. Yeah, I think he must have done it, or was sent there by Glen Morangy. Um, and um, this, this changed my life. It changed, it changed Richard's life as well. I mean, the, the, the nosing and tasting of the appreciation and the description of, of uh, whiskey. Yeah. Um, and that was under Jim Swan? Wasn't Jim it? Swan. Jim Swan and Sheila Bertels were the key, the key, the key people. Yeah. And the... Um, and Jim, my mentor, you know, and the um, so when Richard was appointed, I'm not sure exactly what year that would be, but probably about '94, I would think '94, '95, and the um, and he realised, of course, the the place was a, was a complete shambles, and so he 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 said, look, would you would you take over the the nosing panel? The nosing panel was very was formerly very amateur. Um, there are a lot of artistic people, and so the descriptors were were, were colourful, you know, but not really well organised, yeah. you know. But my brief was to keep the colourful ca- character, which has remained to this day. Yeah. Um, but to, to, to keep it, to, you know, exotic. Not so it's not an analytical report. It's a subjective, you know, rather than than an, than an objective chemical sort of a descriptor, and the. Um, um, and and uh, yeah, to just to brace it up, really. And so that was that was that was what that was what happened. So it was, was it to kind of keep it more rooted in in reality in yeah, terms, yeah. terms of what was going on in the glass? Yeah, effectively, because some of the tasting notes, and I've still got some notes from pre, you know, the old days, and the, uh, um, you know, some of them are, are, are pretty fantastic. Yeah. You know? I mean, they, they, they they're not really an accurate guide. It's it's, it's more an exercise in. in Finding funny, funny, funny things to say about the whiskey, you know. And well, the, was 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 the focus on flavour there at the time, uh, or was that something that came round about that period where there was just this this, this real kind of uh, clear-sighted uh, view of what was going on in the glass in terms of flavour? I think that the well, when you say flavour, correctly speaking, flavour is a combination of smell, taste, and texture, but the of which, of course, smell is the most important. I think that these chaps. Um, were they, they, they I mean, even 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 today a lot of I mean Diageo thinks of flavour as being taste yeah. in, in the mouth, you know, and I think it was mainly based on the mouth. Whereas we learned, Richard and I, that the um, you know blenders work on on smell, you know, smell is the most important thing, and, uh, and even taste is secondary. From a consumer's perspective, the two both both are very important, but the. Um, but the, you know, it was really trying to structure the tasting notes a bit better to, to, to you know, smell before you taste sort of thing and, and remark on nose feel effect and mouth feel effect. Yeah, and more the, of yeah. a structure to the yeah, process yeah, as well. Yeah, but then, you know, when, when, when we would sit around the table and the, um, uh, the, the, the panel and the, you know, I would, people would come up with, with, with reminds me of and then either, either the people nod or they say, what, you know? And the, as long as it's, and so to try and keep it, you know, exotic and uh, romantic, if you like, but 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 nevertheless based in in 
reality. And if, if everybody gets, you know, smells like an old motor car, then, then, uh, then you know, it, it goes in. And yeah. whoever's taking, in this case, me taking the notes and then writing up the... Uh, and the same will be true today, I'm sure. The, yeah. the, um, no, absolutely. I think it is it's the same process and, and, and works in very much the same way. Mm. But obviously, the society has developed hugely over those years. Wow, you know, yeah. Now an international society, up to 30,000 members. Gosh. Uh, and the whiskey world is also unrecognisable from when mm. you started writing about whiskey. Uh, whiskey books come out all the time. Oh, unbelievable! What was what, what, your take on the the kind of growth of the the whole whiskey world in in, in general over the past uh, well three decades or so? Yeah, I mean, I th- it's. I think I was lucky in that, but purely by chance, you know, I was I, I started at the, at the at the right at the right time because the I, I once did I once worked out there were there were as many books written, I can't remember, I may, I may have done this, this sum in, in about, two, about 2000, and there were, there were as many books written in the 1990s um, as had been written in the entire history of Scotch whisky. That sounds about know, right. Until then, you know, from whatever it was, 17th century to, 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 to 1990, you know. Um, and, I mean, it, you know, it's... It's so gratifying because the the as someone who who loves whiskey, um, it's so gratifying and so, and the industry as well. You know the people involved um, that to, to, that it has. Um, I remember, for example, um, uh, going up to to uh, Glen Murray Distillery with with Richard Gordon, and to, to tell what was his name, the manager there. He was a long-standing manager. Oh gosh, I wish I could remember his name. But, but the that the the that Glenmorangie had uh, must have been when Richard was at Glenmorangie, and the um, um, that they decided to to release Glenmurray as a single malt. And I mean, the guy was just in tears. You know, he said, "Oh, the boys will be so pleased, you know, to see their work recognised and available now to 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 as as a, rather than just a blending whiskey." And yeah. it's the same for so many distillers mm, absolutely. O- o- over the years. But it must be very gratifying because with all these whiskey books coming out and all these writers on the scene, people still turn to your book, Malt Whiskey, as, as a definitive text. Well, that's very kind of you to say so, but the, the, um, I, wouldn't, it, I think it's a good introduction text. And it's very out of date now. <laughs> but you said that's one you've been updating during... Oh, no, that, Wikipedia is the one that, that, that I update all, all the time. Yeah. But the, the, I, was, I was somewhat pissed off about Malt Whiskey because it was published by... That was also published by Mitchell Beastie in a, in a large format. And then they, behind my back, they sold the rights to Lerman Books and I don't, I don't think I get any royalties from it. And they, and they, and they, and, and when they sold it, it, it should have been updated, you know. But it's, so they, they, they sell it at a, at a massively discounted price, and I don't think I get any royalties from it at all. Well, but it's, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's irritating, you know. Yeah. Um, well, it's, well it's, it, for me, it's still a great introduction. Oh, well, that's kind of. Mm. No, absolutely. Uh, tell me about the charitable side of things, Charlie. Obviously, your boys set this record <laughs> rowing across the Atlantic, this phenomenal achievement. Well, uh, you know, they, they, they say that OBE stands for Other Buggers' Efforts, and I say that MBE stands for My Boy's Efforts. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. It's, it's, 
you know, I mean, I, I do, I always do, um, I'm always happy to do tastings and things for charitable purposes and have done for many years. And the, uh, and I suppose it all adds up, but the, I mean, the, the ballet today, and that was for, for helping Scottish ballet, etc. But the, um, um, well, that was about it, really. I mean, I'm trying to think of, but the, the, the and of course, the key the, uh, charitable thing was, uh, was the, the, with the boys, yeah. Whiskey for Water. And that was um, inspired by um, a, a charity called Feedback Madagascar, which um, digs wells for the poor people in, in Madagascar. Um, and so they, kept, they came up with the idea, what about doing a practice row before the Atlantic Challenge um, up the West Coast and, uh, and get me to, to approach all the, all the owners of the distilleries up the way um, and see if they would donate bottles to the cause, which would then be all disgorged and then blended. Um, and <coughs> they were hugely generous, as the industry always is. And the, um, except Bo Moore, actually, they, I don't think they understood. I didn't have a direct contact. It was somebody there. They sent one bottle, which we drank. And the, uh, but, you know, Diageo sent sort of 36 bottles of, of Lagavulin 16, for example, you know. Nice. And the, um, um, but we had, I can't remember how many bottles, but it was many hundreds, I mean, three or four hundred bottles. Yeah. And the, uh, of, the, of the McLean's Pillage? Well, now, you see, then the, the, the um, then um, Mark Thompson of, of Glen, Glenfiddich, um, he said, do you want some grain whiskey from Girvan? You know, and I said, yeah, what a good idea. Because then we can do two. And that was spillage, well, pillage, which was the main one, and spillage, yeah. the, uh, which was the blended scotch. Um, and so then, then I, I spoke to Richard Patterson, um, and, um, and actually I was filmed. Um, and the, the, the with with the were, were the boys there? I can't remember. No, I didn't think they were there. But the the um, um, to get some some idea of of how to go about putting together this disparate blend because some of them I organised the malts into the mild ones, the I can't remember, mild, medium, and the wild ones, the, 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 um, oh no, the mild, wild, and big smokies, and the, um, um, and vatted them together, samples, you know, to get an idea of the proportion. Um, and Richard said, yeah, that's the best thing to do. And then we, we went through, the, through, through in, in, his, in his lab in, in Glasgow. And then I recruited, um, um, Alex Bruce from Adelphi and um, um, Arthur, Mo Arthur Motley. And was Keir involved? Keir Sword from, from Roma, maybe, I can't remember. But then we, we sat down, no, he initially we, it was just, just um, Alex and myself and, um, um, and Arthur, I think. Yeah. And we, we worked out what the, and we had to we work out the, the strength and the, the, the amount of this, that next thing. And in fact, we worked on the, on the pillage, the, that of the blended malt to start with. And then the, the, the rest went into spillage. But we had to, we had to work out the, the, the amount of grain to, to make sure it wasn't. Um, so that was how it worked. And, the, um, and then they went, they, they went like snow yeah, of a dike. Yeah, very well. And I think that they, they, they raised, 
I think it was over two hundred thousand pounds for, yeah, for fe- feedback, yeah. and, which is brilliant. Yeah. yeah, really, really great. And what, what are the boys up to next? They've got another oh, expedition in the, on, they, on the they, horizon. They want to. They, they're on a twinkle in their eye, and I'm trying to dissuade them. They want to row across the Indian Ocean. The Indian the, Ocean from Australia to Madagascar. Wow! And that's that's four thousand over four thousand miles, and the um, and. To give you an idea, it's equivalent to the distance between Orkney and Delhi. <laughs> okay. But the, 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 um, they formed a company, they want to work together, and they formed a company um, called the McLean Brothers Limited. And the, um, but you and the oldest boy, he's working for James Dyson. He's a, he's a design engineer. See, now he's a senior, he's 29, but he's a senior design engineer. And the, um, Jamie Middleboy, he, he is an architect, he would be qualified in architecture, but doesn't want to work, doesn't want to become RIBA. So he's now got a, a business um, designing and building gardens in Glasgow, based in Glasgow, whether, whether it's huts and paving and stuff, you know, but you know, he, they're, very, they're very practical boys. And Lachlan, the youngest one, is he's, in, he's 22 and is in his last year of studying philosophy in Glasgow. So the, with with the way things have been, he can do um, he can do most of what he needs to do work wise in the mornings. I mean he's now he's now in his final honours year, so so he probably won't be able to spend so much time. But during the, and so he would then go and work with his brother um, in the afternoons. Must be very gratifying oh. that they're doing such good work, but also fairly terrifying that they're sailing <laughs> these incredible distances. Oh, I know. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not at all keen on, on the on the Indian route. I mean, I, I, mean you, you, I, I can't just I can't come out strongly. Nineteen sort of man-eating sharks in the Indian Ocean, apparently. Nineteen t- species yeah. of. of uh, <laughs> and, and the pirates as well. And the pirates, of course. Jeez, oh. Uh, and so what, what's next for you, Charlie? You've obviously had a very productive lockdown period with the writing you've been mm. doing. So, and it, now is it back to a bit more travelling and um, out and about? Yeah, I don't have... Uh, the, I'm due to go back to China, but it depends upon the, the relaxation on, on Diageo's behalf. Um, in, um, um, well, maybe November, uh, but later in the year, but the, oh, it just depends on. The, I'm, I'm, I was supposed to go to, to America. Oh, no, no, I beg your pardon. That was a Zoom. But no, no, that originally was a trip to America on behalf of the society um, last month, and the but that became a, a came a Zoom Zoom call. Yeah. Now they, I have in my diary question mark America for um, is it next month? I think it is next month question mark. But okay. the, but I don't have. I'm going to Germany. Um, uh, next month, that 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 that's booked in. Um, so things so are getting back to back to business. A little, little bit travel, more, little but, bit more travel, but but more writing as well. Yeah, yeah. I want to expand. The, one of the books that I wrote was the one that's been was commissioned by the the uh, the IWFS, the Wine and Food Society, was the uh, um, was about blended Scotch whisky, and I, I I had overwritten. So before I knew what the length of the thing was, the uh, I, I just got, got on with it because the, I had nothing else to do. And the, um, so I've got a lot of stuff which ha- hasn't gone into the book or booklet. And um, so I want to, I would, I, if I can find a publisher for it, to, 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 to expand it substantially and to do more research and to speak to all the blenders and this and the next thing, 
Um, that, 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 that bit of project that I'd really like to do. Yeah. Um, but you know, other than that, you know, it's just sort of, I just sort of burn along from day to day. I don't know where, I don't, I don't, frankly don't know where my next meal's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> and have you received your MBE yet? What's no, I haven't. I've got my, I should have worn my badge. The, uh, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a, 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 a little badge. When's the ceremony or what well, happens the, with that? Well, again, I got a letter from them saying that do you want to be done at um, Buckingham Palace, Holyrood, or you can be done by the Lord Lieutenant, in, in this case, Lord Lieutenant Edinburgh, who also is the, the Lord Provost. And I was at a, a, a ceremony with Sandy Sam, Sam Smith was getting a, getting a, a gong, the, the Edinburgh Medal or something like that. And, the, uh, and so I met the, the Lord Provost. And I said, now tell me, what's, this, what's the deal on this? Oh, he said, it'd be great if you could do it here because I can then fly my, my Lord Lieutenant's flag and you can bring as many, well, up to, up to 20 people, do you see? Because they did say that if I was, if I was to be at Tolerud or I'd probably have only one guest, you see? And um, of course, with three boys, the, 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 what, you draw a straw. Yeah. And but but if 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 I had if I had up to twenty, I could we, we could have and you, oh yeah, you can have champagne and stuff, you know, in, in the before the ceremony, and then you go often have go, go off and have a good lunch, and so that's what I'm going to do. Right. <laughs> and, and, and do you know when that's going to happen? Well, I, no, I don't. I don't. The, the I've got I've I've notified the the um, the chancery of uh, the orders of knighthood, which I think is what it's called. The uh, uh, that that's what I propose, and I haven't heard back from them yet. So. so you're not going to be sharing a dram with uh, Her Majesty or Prince Charles? No. Well, you see, I, I mean, I, I mean, the dear old Queen is she? She's quite elderly. I don't, I don't know whether she does this. Somebody said, well, maybe you'll get done by the the the, the, the um, uh, Andrew, the Prince of what is he called, the Duke of York. I thought, no, I think he's probably he's probably deputed to take orders away. <laughs> he's off official duties at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I don't know the the um, but oh, you know I'd rather I'd rather just just um, you know the the, the, the promise seemed a very nice chap actually as well. Fantastic. And, and so there we are. Mm. Well, congratulations, Chuck. Thank you very much, Richard. Lovely much to catch up. And congratulations from everyone at the SMWS to Charlie on his very well deserved award. That's it for this episode of Whiskey Talk. Remember, you can read much more about Charlie and the wider whiskey world in Unfiltered, which is out every month in a new edition for members of the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. Find out more at smws.com. Until the next time, cheers. <laughs>